0: I've chased, I've chased, I've
1: chased, I've chased. That's the thing about Jitsu when you're having like these sort of like weird conversations about like what training, what just partook in training and stuff like that. And no one really gets it, and then they're just looking at you like really strangers. And like, wait, you're just rolling around sweating on each other. Like, what's going
2: on? Or when, because I, I used to train at the university, mm. and so and we had this little matted out area down in the basement, and people yeah. would just come down. And just stop, and you'd be like rolling around there with your friends, no, and you, and then they just like people who have no idea what the hell is going on. They're looking for a place to study or something. Yeah, and they come down and just look at you, and you're like, <laughs> and they're like, oh, I'm sorry. they think it's that like you're having sex or something. <laughs> it's a weird game, pretty much.
1: So, yeah, and you get and you get these um, the home mats because I know Romeo has them. He's always putting them on oh, social awful. media.
2: Yeah, mats? yeah, yeah, they're like the worst. It's like training on concrete, um. and you can't and and the friction is so you. You can't like shrimp. No, no, no you are like, <laughs> And then all your it's skin comes off, and you.
1: What did you You You're thinking, what the hell going on here? Come
3: back with when you go back. I don't know.
2: Well, you wanted to try. Yeah. You don't. Oh,
3: I'm gonna try like some kind of martial arts
2: though. <laughs> 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 I don't know. I, I think. What you would you to, recommend? I think you have to it have, have a what well, depends? What What do you like? Do you like kicking, punching? Choking, choking, rolling around. What do you like? Pulling arms apart.
1: <laughs> <laughs> mm. Which well, one? <laughs> all all, all of the, You kind of um, could I'll do. Be, I'll probably roundy kicking than
3: punching.
2: All right, do like taekwondo then.
1: That'll be good actually,
2: and I think it's better for fitness. It's good for fitness, your flexibility. Really mm. uh, you don't probably don't get hurt as much Ooh. as jiu-jitsu yeah jiu-jitsu were constantly injured like man I've, I've had I've torn ligaments in my hand uh, my knee mm. I've screwed my back up I tore muscle in my neck um, I've broken f- uh, toes um, I've yeah I've, I've got a cracked tooth I've got half a tooth mm. from ju- all from jiu-jitsu um, <laughs> he's dead serious black, black eyes <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean
1: black eyes are regular that's like once a week <laughs> yeah regular. man you
2: get hurt like a lot so, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, and I, I know a guy, uh, black belt guy who his, his, his bicep tore what? and and he had his arm in a sling for ages. He couldn't do anything cause his, his bicep like came detached from his arm Ouch. and something happened. Yeah. But yeah, you get you get people do, do all kinds of stuff happens in jiu jitsu. You know? Yeah, real bad. Injuries. I always
1: seems to find myself like it, well, at least once a week I'm icing something. Yeah, like I just drop out of uh, like sparring sessions towards the end. I'm like, oh gosh, here we go again. Like I can feel like serious
2: pain, just like, tendinitis. I yeah. used to get that in my in my like my elbows all the time, mm. like all running up and down where you you can't. Uh, you, you literally can't lift up your bottle of water at the end of the session. Yeah. You're like, you can just <laughs> drop it. I think one of the worst memories I had is um,
1: after a really, really like hectic session, I went into the changing room and he, you know, he has that, this little, um, what was it? Like a little wooden, Plank in the middle. The bench. It wasn't a real bench, was it? <laughs> it? was like a wooden plank right in the middle. And um, I had a really heavy session that day and I, I was sitting there. And what happened I must have passed out. So I woke up half an hour completely disoriented, thinking, what the hell's You're going on here? Out I completely for passed out. half an out. hour. Half an hour. On the bench. I fell asleep, but I call it passed right? okay. out. I couldn't, I couldn't, I didn't feel myself falling asleep. Jesus. It was just like a natural progression. Up, oh I just woke up and I was like, oh gosh, like I was meant to jump into the shower. Like, what happened here?
2: Was, everyone, all the lights were off everyone's gone home everyone no <laughs> I feel like was like people in the shower
1: and stuff there was still people hanging around but it was just like such a weird experience the doors are yeah. locked I just slept there like all the night ultimate like yeah. exhausting like it was so nuts yeah but I love it though man yeah are you gonna go back anytime soon? nah
0: <laughs>
1: I don't think all. so
2: I don't think so not for any like mm. for one I don't have any time so I've got i I teach full time, mm. and I'm doing. Uh, I've got to do my PhD corrections and write two uh, papers for publication by the end of the year. Oh wow. One's due like one's one's due two weeks ago. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> and, and, and one is you due, get cracking. One, one, one is due in December, and my mm. PhD, like the whole thing, is is due next March. Mm. Uh, and I teach. I mean, I'm I'm at work from eight o'clock until six seven in, yeah. at night. I take work home. I do yeah. stuff over the weekends. Mm. So like for me to you know pay 80 90 100 pounds a month yeah. to go to uh, for for a club that I might go once a week mm. it's just not worth but it. But do you
1: feel completely satisfied though, with like the level that you reached? No. Cuz that that's my issue No, of course well, not. Yeah.
2: But you I mean a... now I'm like, you know, I drink and I'm, I'm overweight and, and I, I struggle <laughs> no, getting out of bed no I checked I checked on yeah. my like my oh, BMI. yeah oh, I, didn't, I didn't stand on the scales mm. and do but I, I checked there yeah. was like a chart where it has like your height and and your oh, ideal yeah. weight no, right amazing, yeah. and I'm like I'm like right at the top top end for my height of, okay. of being oh, normal yeah. like if I'm if I'm like a, a kilo or two over I'm, I'm your... technically f- like fat yeah okay. and then and then if I'm like five kilos I'm obese okay or something so
3: but that's like me though because with when they did they came to my workplace and they did all this and then i was literally like i think it's 20 it's a 24 or something like right at the top of my one but i'm thinking well oh, i'm definitely not overweight, but because i'm sure and like I way obviously whatever i weigh it makes it seem I like i like how
2: you <laughs> <laughs> sidestep that real and i weigh it's perfectly cool. straight whatever i weigh <laughs> i don't need yeah, to go like, into I, that uh,
3: yeah I I've mm. always weighed the 63, between 63 and like 65 from since school, Yeah. so like last 10, 15 years I've weighed the same kind of thing. Yeah,
2: so did I, but look what happens. <laughs> Life. <laughs> Can I ask your age? i um, 27. Oh yeah, you got time. When you hit 30, it all goes downhill. Man. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Yeah, it does. I, I, well, yeah, possibly, I know. I, don't like,
3: think, it I think my good.
2: metabolism
1: slowed down. I feel like my metabolism I definitely slowed down. I feel like if down. anything, my metabolism
3: mm. has sped up in the last year at least. But then mm. that could be due to something else, not just, yeah. But mm. I've lost weight in the last year for, without exercising nothing.
2: Well, screw mm. you. <laughs>
3: I know, people actually <laughs> do. I hate saying it because then people are like, oh. But I'm not saying it to like both because I actually do mm. want to put on weight. I just can't eat.
2: I did, uh, over the summer, I did this thing where I, I started eating healthily. I, I was running, you know. Uh, I was doing like press ups and stuff like that. I was yeah. eating salad and fish every day. I didn't drink for like two, three, three weeks or something. Wow, stepped that's on a the scales. I stepped on the scales, yeah. didn't move. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious, didn't move. Yeah. Not even a hundred grams, was nothing. It, you know? And I was just like, Fuck this, I'm no way, like, shut up. And, I, and then yeah. I grabbed my beer and I sat down. I <laughs> was like, whoa. I may this as well enjo- cause I'm not enjoying my life, you know, mm. and if nothing's happening, then I may as well just enjoy my life. And But introduce, were you, were you purely doing it for
1: like weight control purposes, health or to be an expert? Um, yeah. What was your personal reason for
2: going? Well, I, I've always, I've done martial arts since I was 13. Mm. So I did, uh, Oh, well,
3: this could be a good, great start. Mm. Do
2: you get
3: it? Well, This could be a great start of him saying about how well, i already time. started.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah so we know all about your weight
3: <laughs> it's
2: already started <laughs> Go, saying about you. tell me more about
1: your small fat body <laughs> and, uh, it's too late now Wait, you
3: it's, it's
1: a trick of the trade isn't it just warming people in without them noticing what's going on
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: you're here now yeah, everyone's heard about That's your your weight loss process and how your body died up and how you, what your BMI is and everything.
2: And everyone's heard that I'm borderline obese and alcoholic, <laughs> manic depressive. Whilst well, so I just kept quiet, inconspicuous, right? because I knew exactly what was going on the whole time. Mm. Uh, no, so okay, yeah. I, so I, I started training. So th- this all ties in. Okay, so this is a nice entry because this all ties in with mm. um with Chinese. Mm. Uh, so. Um, so the so the reason I, I got interested in Asia in the first place is is my mum went to she's a doctor mm. and she went to medical school, obviously, because <laughs> that's how you become a doctor. <laughs> that's how and, you become a doctor. <laughs> and uh, and she did she did a, a three month um, like exchange program or something mm. like that, you know, in in Hiroshima, in Japan. Okay, that's where the nuclear bomb landed, wasn't it? R- thankfully earlier yeah (laughs) i mean not when your mom was there but like historically (laughs) yeah my mom's not that old (laughs) no offense mom (laughs) no it was like this is a good a good 30 40 years after the bomb and um and she so she brought back all of these things like you know kokeshi dolls and Mm. uh, kimonos yukatas bento boxes Oh yeah uh, loads of loads of little bits and pieces that we have around the house still and photo albums you Mm. know and I remember when I was a kid, I was like fascinated by all this stuff, like where, you know, it, so, it looked so different from everything else yeah. in the house, stylistically, uh, chopsticks, I was like, what the hell are these, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, and I just remember, and I used to look through her photo albums, and there were pictures of temples, and, and, you know, her with Japanese people, and they looked so different from, mm-hmm. from us, and was fascinated and and I, I yeah so I was interested in Asia ever since I was a a tiny. Was he in Scotland at this time though? When so my no uh, so I grew up in Newcastle and Sheffield. So my my oh, okay. my father's family are from Scotland and my mother's actually from New Cross. Oh wow! Believe it or not, so I, I live five minutes down the road from my mum where my mum was <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Funnily enough, she she grew up in a in a little street called Eckington Gardens, mm. and now we they they live in in Derbyshire in a town called Eckington. No way. which is and that was just purely coincidental yeah. bizarre and uh so i i just, so i i got interested in i remember i was like um 12 uh 11 12 and we have an, an old computer you know mm. and uh i remember um do you remember in carter how old
1: are you in Carter? I'm 32. Okay. So yeah.
2: you, you should, you're like in Carter generation, right? In Carter? So it, what's in Carter it, it, again? It was in Sweden, I remember. I've been uh, all over the place. Okay. So it just depends what we're talking about you <laughs> <laughs> Uh it, it was a, um, it was like Wikipedia before Wikipedia, but on a, on a, on a disc. So it wasn't, uh, I mean, it wasn't updated. Like Wikipedia is, it's just it. I don't it, think my family had It was like, technology It was, was like, young. it was like in Carter in 96, right?
1: Encarter, it? Encarta it
2: e n c a r t a i think mm. anyway uh so i and it had a section on we had this thing and I had, there was a section on 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 languages of the world you mm. know and they had cantonese japanese navajo mm. uh you know all these all these languages and they had the same thing they had like numbers uh intro, like self introduction and um and uh like a, a proverb or yeah. something like that and you could hear the sounds of the language i remember i used to just sit there listening to them all and what age was this How old is uh, you? actually i mean before that i was it was interested in asia before that mm. that time i was around 13 but i i bought i bought a, a cd a cd rom of uh teach yourself like cantonese you know mm. and i used to sit and it was just vocabulary there wasn't any grammar it was yeah just, like, learning colors and, and i and i when I was 13, I was, I was studying, like, Cantonese by myself. I had to... Uh, I was obsessed with... And then I got into, kind of, you know, cinema. Yeah. And then I was really into Jackie Chan movies and you know, Bruce Lee films. I was yeah. obsessed with Bruce yeah. Lee and Jackie Chan. <laughs> I had loads of, you know, old VHSs. Mm. And uh, I used to love just listening to them all in the the original Cantonese. Or oh, the so you only listening to the voiceover once, with they? I had <laughs> some... <laughs> it, it depends. Some, some, yeah. some were dubbed and some were... ...with oh, okay. subtitles, but... Um, and, uh, and so when I was 13, I was studying, I found a Shaolin Kung Fu place in, uh, in a, a city, not too far from mm. where I live. And I started going there and then I stayed, I was there for like three years. And then I did, when I was 17, I did Wing Chun for a year. Okay. Uh, and then, and then I went to uni and didn't do anything for a little while. And a friend of mine, this guy, Chris. Kavanaugh, who is still a really good friend of mine now, he um, he 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 was doing Muay Thai, and mm. he he took me to a Muay Thai class, and you know, I found it very tough, but also kind of a, a lot of kicking pads. Yeah. And I didn't, I, I didn't, It wasn't. I didn't find that hugely interesting. Mm. You know, and um, so more competitive, more like just training. Yeah, but like I just kind of I I think the reason I I liked kung fu because because of the. Stylistically, I thought it was very beautiful. Mm. You know the the forms and the animal styles, and yeah. you know, it didn't matter about the practicality so much for me. It was very intricate and and beautiful to, mm-hmm. to watch and to and to do. Um, Muay Thai was obviously very practical, but I didn't find it to be. I wasn't really into it, too, yeah. so I didn't go. And then, and then uh, we both went to. He started doing Brazilian jiu jitsu, so they started mm. training at Soas, which is my university. Oh movement. yeah. And they just opened a club under a guy called Luis Tosta, who you might even yeah, know. In so India. Luis mm-hmm. trained at Shoe Fighters mm. West, you know, um, and was was teaching jiu there. But before that, he w- he started off... Um, I mean, he'd already been teaching there a little while before we, we we went down. But he was teaching with another guy called Leo, who ended up moving to Dubai, I think, um, after he, op- he was teaching in, in Knightsbridge for a while. But... Um, yeah. Yeah, we we went to train with Louis, and 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 I remember like Chris and I, we didn't know what we were doing, and 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 we I got killed obviously, and and I and was, I was it like the, the classic rear naked chocolate or, oh, yeah, or something like that. Like, I got the <laughs> shit beaten out of me, and I was like, yeah. I was like, oh man, this sucks. And yeah. then and, and I was like, I don't want to do this. You know yeah. why
1: am I? That's everyone's first day jiu-jitsu.
2: Yeah, and yeah. so I didn't go. I, I so I, I quit. I I didn't go back for like more than a year. Oh wow. But well for the first experience yeah mm. I, I maybe I went a couple of times two mm. three times but I didn't, I didn't you know i wasn't regular and then mm. and then and then chris stayed and he was there for uh it must a, a good at least a year more yeah and when i went back i think chris was already a blue belt oh wow
1: advanced quite quick then
2: um he's training a lot i think mm. it may have been a year and a half i don't know but he, yeah he, he 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 but chris was naturally very very good yeah he just seemed to kind of get the the hang of the techniques very quickly, you know, intuitively. So I, I went back, and Chris said, oh, I'll give it another try. And I said, oh, fine. All right. And I went back, and Chris killed me. And <laughs> he, I, he's been waiting for that the whole but, year. But the, but the thing is, that I, yeah. I was just like, holy shit. Like, like you know, when Chris and I went, he was as hopeless as I was. Yeah. and And now, like, a year later, he's doing all this insane yeah. stuff and i can't it's perseverance i can't it, do anything it. that you do yeah, yeah but it, it showed yeah. me that how effective it was mm. and i saw somebody because it's easy to go there and you you'll go against a, a polish purple belt yeah who just like just you know just destroys you yeah and you're like oh well you know this is not for me he's a, yeah well, he's a <laughs> tough guy he's he's you know he's, he's strong he's been doing it for years yeah. isn't and that and, and you can kind of distance yourself but when you see somebody who went to it at the same level as you, knowing yeah. nothing. And then within a relatively short time, they progressed a huge amount. Mm. And, and they're doing all this stuff that you couldn't imagine. Yeah. And you're like, ah, well, it, it, it works. And yeah. it's also attainable. And so I started training after that. Oh, okay. And uh, it took me about two years to get my blue belt. Oh, amazing. But, um, you got in the end. Well, the thing is that um, Louis left. Mm. And we were without a teacher for a while. And, um, and then Edu came oh yeah and Edu started teaching because Edu Edu was was my first teacher yeah Yeah. Yeah. so he was training along with us Mm. uh, for a while Uh, and then he came back and took over full time after Luis left yeah I think Louise got for a job at Shoot Fighters and went there. Oh, okay. I do, I do.
1: So your love for martial arts, does that tie in line with your love for linguistics and what you ended up getting into? Well, so, in yeah, of so certainly, yeah
2: certainly my love, my love of, of Asia and, and China in particular. Yeah. So when I was doing uh, martial arts, like Kung Fu and stuff, I was, I was very interested in Chinese mm. culture and language. And all I ever wanted to do... Ever since I was a kid, like if somebody, I mean, I, I had ideas, you know, I want to be an actor. I want to be a... Everyone wants to be a superhero. You want to be, you want to be a something or, <laughs> yeah. a, you know, a sports star. I want to be Blade. Yeah. <laughs> I want I, I wanted to be a stuntman in a Jackie Chan movie, you know, you know yeah. whatever. Right? Um, one thing that I always wanted to do that I, I, I just said I'm going to do is to is to learn Chinese. That mm. was like the only thing I wanted to do, really. And I remember getting, I ordered the... I found out that SOAS was like the place to go mm. for Mandarin, and I ordered a prospectus from the university. You know, they posted it out to you, and um, and I remember like thumbing through, pawing through this 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 prospectus for yeah. years. I mean, it was weathered, yeah. battered because I <laughs> because I've been looking at it so much. Yeah. I I you know. Three years before I went to university, I would already planned all my options of which year. Oh, wow. you know, in my third year, I'm gonna do Cantonese oh, wow. and and I literature. To the
1: first day of class, I was like, "Whoa, did I really sign up for this course here?" Yeah, but the thing <laughs> yeah.
2: is, I, I was I was sure, mm. I was so sure what mm. I wanted to do. Um, but then, I, and I did it. You know, I, I went to I went to SOAS and I did Chinese. Mm. But, but before then, that, though, before you continue the story, so
1: before you went to SOAS and done Chinese, did you have any? Um, had you already uh, practiced the language? Like, were you already in the language, uh, or you knew right. nothing so, whatsoever?
2: Um, when I was growing up, no, because yeah. there, there were no, well, as far as I was aware, there were no. Like, I was a kid, so I, mm. could, I couldn't like do a language exchange with somebody.
0: Yeah,
2: you know, and there were no Chinese people where I lived. So you didn't speak a word of the language no. before university. But when okay? I was eighteen, yes. So when I was eighteen, I did a after my my A levels, I did a gap year mm. in China. Okay. So I went to I went to teach English in Guangxi, which is in the south. Guangxi. I, Guangxi. Yeah. So you have Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. Just north of Hong Kong is Guangdong, mm-hmm. and the Dong means Guang is literally a kind of wide or mm-hmm. expansive or something, and Dong is east. Oh, okay. So and Guangxi is wide, expansive, wide west. west yeah. So I was I was I was there, and uh, in the capital, a place called what well, Nanning was the mm. capital. It was it was a, it was a university. Um, on a university campus uh, outside the capital in in the countryside. It was very nice. And, and mm. there was a, a middle school attached to the university. And, mm. I, and I taught there for six months. Oh, I see. So, I mean, I picked up Mandarin while I was there. Not really well, but yeah, you know, I could pretty, like, I could order food and I could... Um, so that basic have, conversation, have a very, very basic conversation, mm. like how you know what, what your day's been like, what you, yeah. but nothing super complicated. So now, how does that
1: change once you get into SOAS? What's the journey from SOAS? Well, I, I couldn't
2: I couldn't read them or write. Oh okay. So the the biggest problem with learning Mandarin is there there are two main problems. One is the the tones. Mm. Okay, so in Chinese you have four tones, and they change the the meaning of the word, mm. um, and every single word has a tone. So. For example, like say you're learning Italian, um, it's not enough to, In Italian it's enough to know that tavolo mm. is table. Yeah. But in Chinese it it's, uh, 桌子, right. Mm. But it's not 桌子 or 桌子 or or it's. 桌子. So the sound has to be, so in. you have to know mm-hmm. yeah. the tone, but that's for
1: every single word. So without the tone, does that change the meaning of the word completely? So, yeah. Okay.
2: Yeah. So
1: if I mispronounce, how do you So, okay.
2: There? So draws it because it's got the, it could yeah. be, it, it generally mm-hmm. it's this table. But if, with, I mean, the classic example is you take the word ma, M-A, right? Ma, yeah. <clears throat> So if you have a flat tone, mm-hmm. ma, ma, yeah, ah, that's kind of like, like ma, oh, yeah, ma yeah, right? yeah. that means mother. Yeah. Okay. If you, if it rises, ma. Oh okay. That is uh, hemp. Oh wow. So <laughs> that's two
3: very different very. Right? Yeah. If you if you go down now, if you yeah. go
2: down and up the third tone, it goes ma mm-hmm. that's a horse. Oh wow. And if it's ma, like a falling tone, yeah. that is to like a verb to scold somebody. Oh wow. So and every single word has has a tone. So it's like for us it's difficult to um, not only remember all the tones, but then as you get more fluent, to when you're speaking quickly, every single word yeah. has to have the yeah. it has to have a perfect tone. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so, so that, it's almost like
1: rhyming in sync. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's not that difficult once you get used to it, but like conceptually, when you don't speak a tonal language, it's like, oh my yeah. god, mm. you know. Are there any other
3: languages like those?
2: just yeah, tonal languages exist um, in Africa. Mm. There's a lot of African languages that are tonal. Yeah,
3: I think we. I think trees would be
2: one of them. We don't realise what it is. Mm, could be. So yeah. I, I mean, I many. personally, I, I, I'm not really familiar with the languages of Africa, so I, yeah. I can't say which, which ones are which, mm. but I know that they exist. Large groups of, of languages mm. uh, in Africa are tonal languages mm. and loads of languages in Asia. For example, all of the, 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 the Chinese languages, I mean, the Chinese language family, the, the Sinitic languages are, are, are tonal. Mm. Um, Thai, Vietnamese, oh, yeah. Cambodian, I think. Um, yeah.
1: Oh. So well, how, does, how, did, how did your course in SOAS improve your um, written and what, what course did you do in particular?
2: Well, I mean, my, my, my first year I did, um, your first year is mainly, it's heavily uh, based on grammar and writing. Mm. Um, so writing takes a long time. And by the end of the first year, I could write about a thousand characters. Oh, wow. Um, but you're learning about 50 per week. Yeah. Something like that. Um, which is quite a lot. But these then, are memorized as well. So yeah, but I mean, if you break... Mm. The thing is, the character is like... It's broken down into certain components mm. that have meaning. Um, semantic meaning. Yeah. And a lot of these components um, reoccur in semantic fields. So, for example, um, there's, there's like three little dots. Mm. And, and that little component means water. And Mm. so you always, most likely you see it in words like wave, Mm. drop, tear, rain. Or relating to water. Or anything Mm. relating to the semantic field of water will Mm. have the same kind of component. Mm. And then there's one fire and that's related verbs like to cook, to steam, to roast, to grill, you know. Um, So like a lot of the characters you can break down into parts that Mm. are, it makes it a lot easier to understand. There's a real logic to it. Mm Um, we, we think of it as just kind of scribbles, but actually it's, it's very logical yeah. and, um, and very smart, sophisticated oh, writing wow. system.
1: And, and how does it, how, how did your course sort of like, um, take his, take his direction going from learning a language to now going into preservation of language? Was that like so a that conscious decision you made or was that based on the actual course itself? No, no. So this okay. was, they were
2: two very different things. Oh, two very different yeah. things. Okay. So, and it's, that was your postgraduate, right? It was just my PhD. It was a, oh, that was your PhD, the English yeah. one. We just discussed. Yeah, so my, my, my BA was in Chinese and, and I did, I mean, that was kind of just language and culture. So we did history, we did mm. film studies, um, literature, modern and classic, classical Chinese. Yeah. Um, of course, we had a year in China where we focused on mainly just getting like really good at the, the language, yeah. both speaking and writing, listening the four skills um and less on the other things. And then we when we came back we focused more on the kind of the cultural oh, okay. aspect as well. Um after I graduated, uh I took about three years off and I did I worked, I did different jobs, mm. I did stuff in journalism, I did stuff in um museums. Uh and then I decided that I wasn't using my language skills like I w- they were wasted. But mm. I wasn't using them in a job. And I decided to do a master's degree in translation because okay. I thought, oh, you know, I'll do translation, use my language, make a living, and then I and I hated it <laughs> <laughs> yeah. because it was it was incredibly. I I you know I th- I thought it would be like ah oh, you get your degree in translation and then you know you can do cool things like translate well, CIA documents well, and stuff. You no, know, <laughs> you know, well, you know, you, you, you yeah. uh, actually a lot of a lot of. Um, Recruitment is done mm. through SOAS for MI five for the Secret ser- no, MI six, the Secret oh, okay. Service, there for mm. language specialists. Um, I know, I know quite a few people who've who've applied for jobs there. Oh, amazing! Uh, and um, I know three people who've applied, and, and all three were unsuccessful. But no, they can't tell me it's true. Yeah. Um, but yeah, apparently SOAS, is because, because they they teach Arabic there, they teach, mm. uh, you know, uh, Farsi. They, all, all these languages that are very important for uh, contemporary yeah.
1: uh, politics. For like preservation of history and culture and stuff as well. Yeah, also. Yeah.
2: Um, so language and culture experts, mm. SOAS just produces them like this. So the, a lot oh. of them go into fields like uh, NGOs and, and government, oh, yeah. diplomatic service, things like that. Um, yeah, no, so I so I I didn't do that. I didn't go down that route. But I <laughs> I, did, I did translation and um and after that, I I did a little bit of translation work but things a, a lot of it is 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 stuff like um you know, I was translating and proofreading like chemical patents. Okay. And technical manuals. You know, things that were just unbelievably dull. Yeah and who was this for though at companies oh, but the companies, thing is that like yeah. now now like yeah. most people don't some some people are employed it used to be the case that you were employed like in-house for a company mm. and it's really the case now everything is done um via agencies so yeah. you you know freelance work so you apply for an agency they have you on record mm. they send out a, a group email saying you know we need this job done this this amount of words and this yeah. is the payment we need it by this deadline mm. who who can take the job and if you want the job, you email back quickly. And I'll take do it. it yeah, yeah. And then, so you, know, you got a whole bunch of linguistic experts just there. Just yeah, and the, then, but then you open yeah. it and you're like, oh shit, why did I say yeah. it? <laughs> so, uh, I did that for a little while and, mm. and I, I really disliked it. And, and mm. I thought, um, this is a long story of, mm. of me getting to what I'm doing. But I, I remember my mum so th- I, this is partly so. I, anyway, I, I was I was working I was working in uh, jobs and I wasn't I wasn't happy. I wasn't satisfied with all, what I was doing. Did that thing go down? Yeah. It doesn't matter. No, nah, it's absolutely fine. Can it's you picks me? Yeah. And I'll adjust uh, it anyway. But you're yeah, going keep is Keep talking, it's right? so fine. Don't just keep me. And uh, okay. And so my my mum's a doctor, mm-hmm. as I said, but she she always wanted to be an archaeologist, and she loves history. And I remember asking her once, like, if you loved history so much, why didn't you, why didn't you do archaeology? Why did you decide on medicine? And she said because she, she thought it was a selfish decision. And she said that, um, you know, she thought her life um, would have been better. Uh, her time would have been better invested in helping other people. Oh, okay. And and that really resonated with me when she said that because at that time I hadn't been doing anything with my life everything that I was had been doing was for selfish reasons mm. I'm not selfish but I I do it because I'm interested yeah you know making um, money I, well I wasn't money. making any money <laughs> I, but things I've never been motivated by money but yeah. ma- mainly probably because I came from a you know I'd say a relatively middle class family mm. where we weren't rich by any means but. Um, but we weren't poor yeah. and so money for me was never like a, a real mm. issue um, and so I was motivated by other things by I- interests mm. uh, which isn't necessarily a bad thing but, but it does mean that I'm quite poor now you're rich in knowledge I'm, I'm, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm educated and, and worldly and i mm. broke as, as, <laughs> as, as, as shit but that's just the way yeah. and um, But I, 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 so I I went for a little period kind of trying to figure out what Mm -hmm. it is I wanted to do. And then I don't know how this happened, how I found it, but I came across a documentary called The Linguists. Mm -hmm. And it's a documentary about two linguists uh, who go around the world documenting and recording dying languages. And in the the documentary, they go to India, Bolivia, and uh, Siberia. Mm. And they look at, you know, what kind of problems are, you know, contribute to language loss, mm. um, what they do, how they go about, you know, saving. I mean, it's, it's not like super informative. It's more yeah. like kind of um, a day in the life, you know. I mean, there's other things like they go to politically unstable things and they're kind of nervous that something yeah, might happen yeah. or, that, you know, they get sick. Or there's lots of mosquitoes and it keeps them awake or something like that, yeah, you yeah. know. Um, kind of like life in the field but it uh, it was i i didn't i didn't even know that that existed that that was a job mm-hmm. and that people could do that and and then I, I started researching like documentary linguistics you know language documentation and i found out i didn't even know this cuz i wasn't in the same department but i found out that soas has one of the best courses in the world and this time you've been there you've time? the whole time i've been there I, but um, i mean i wasn't in the linguistics department i was mm-hmm. in the chinese culture department and um and I, you know, I wasn't really interested that I, I, I was interested when I was doing my, my translation masters, mm-hmm. um, there were elements of language, uh, linguistics in there. And I, I found that more interesting than just doing translations, to be mm-hmm. honest with you. And so I started reading a bit about Latin. Maybe that's how I found the documentary. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, I immediately, I, I wrote an email to, to a few of the guys at, at SOAS and asked for some information and, uh, and I, I've always had this thing about Hawaii you know like Hawaiian Polynesian culture I started I read a book a beautiful book that you should read mm. um, called The Kontiki Expedition okay. written by Thor it was from the 1950s it was a Norwegian yeah. Norwegian explorer who he was an anthropologist he had all these kind of crazy theories um, but obviously this is before DNA before mm. any of this stuff is and and he had, so all, all of his research was based on anthropology, but he had the idea that the Polynesia was populated by um, South Americans. Mm. And so he built a raft uh, using trees in, I think, Peru. Mm. And he built this raft to kind of some specification that was written down in some old... Text. It was one of those mystic. Uh, I think no. I mystic it may, guidelines. It, yeah. it, no, it may have. It may mm. have been like a, a description of the indigenous uh, mm. seafaring crafts that was written by a Spanish. Yeah. Uh, you know, but anyway, uh, and he built it to roughly the same specifications, and it was like him, a Swedish guy, and a bunch of other Norwegians, like five or six guys, mm. and it took them four months, and they just set off in this crappy raft. <laughs> And they sailed across the Pacific No way. and they did it and they took them four months. Um, they were catching, you know, fish and turtles and and stuff to, to survive. Um, they had a radio and, uh, and eventually they landed on an Island in in Polynesia Mm. and in order to prove that the theory could, could be true because everybody doubted him. Um, Turns out he was wrong, but it doesn't matter like it was a, it was a great book and a, yeah. and a beautiful
1: um, it' well written adventure yeah, like but it was much, just yeah. a re-
2: a real feat. To, I mean the guy was uh i mean for me like you know when I tell stories like oh, I did language documentation and i I lived in Taiwan and worked with a tribe like a community there mm. everyone's like, oh wow like i 'm an adventure and'm I was living in a nice flat mm. You know, I had beer. I had the internet. <laughs> like you know, I, my my life was like. Yeah. I, I'm not an adventurer at all. Yeah. There were guys who sailed across the Pacific in the mm. '50s using nothing but a raft that yeah. they built themselves. Like that, they kind that, of really
1: submerged themselves into the culture of the people as yeah. well. So,
2: yeah. But they they put everything on the line mm. for their work, and mm. you know, for me that's incredible. Yeah. So anyway, so I got interested in Polynesian culture that like a long time ago when I was a kid again. Mm. Because my mom gave me that book. My mom has kind of guided my yeah, entire yeah. life with her. You know, Subconsciousness yeah, is guiding yeah. you into your... I'm also into Lord of the Rings. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she gave me The Hobbit when I was... Like, but... Um, uh, what was I saying? So you're getting into... Um, yeah, so... Uh, so uh, yeah, so I, I wanted to do language documentation. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know... like you know, what languages I should study or mm. what, what needed to be done. Or, and I started doing some research into Polynesian languages because I was interested mm. in them. And, and, I, and I read that, that um, all of the, the ancestral languages of Polynesia or the ancestors of Polynesia all originated in Taiwan. Oh. The, the whole Austronesian yeah. family, which is one of the largest linguistic families in the world, mm. is 2,000 plus languages. It's a large um,
1: chunk because isn't there about seven thousand languages in total yeah, in yeah. the world? so it's in about two thousand in this concentrated area. Yeah, so it's just yeah. less than a third,
2: maybe. Wow. If, yeah. Yeah. And um, well, I mean, a concentrated area is it's, it's not concentrated. I know. Yeah, it's because it's it, it, it stretches actually it stretches yeah. from Madagascar, mm. which is where the Mal- Malagasy language is spoken. It's mm. an Austronesian language, brought over from seafaring Austronesians, mm. uh, all the way over to Hawaii. Oh, wow. So in terms of apart from say English because of colonialism, mm. uh it 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 is one of the largest language like uh geographically spread yeah. languages in the world. Um and it covers um the M- Malayo Indonesian languages, mm. the Philippine uh languages of the Philippines, oh, wow. um Maori of New Zealand, the Fiji, mm. Tongan, Samoan, all the way to Hawaii. Um and, and there was, there was successive migrations out from, mm. and you go further and further back and you go back about 5,000 years and they all are concentrated in Taiwan. In Taiwan. And Taiwan actually has linguistically the most, uh, um, diverse group of language, uh, language. So if you think something like 90, plus percent of the yeah. Austronesian language family are, are malayo Polynesian. They're, they're essentially, um, there are obviously quite, quite big differences, but, but they're kind of almost like thinking of them as like the romance. Mm. Think, think of it as like most of Austronesian languages, Austronesian languages could be thought of as being part of the, 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 the say the Germanic language family yeah. where English is quite different from German and quite different from, mm. Norwegian, mm-hmm. but they all belong to the same family, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. but then you go back to Taiwan and you have the indo European family mm. where you have all the other the so celtic brands. The, yeah. the, the 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 romance languages the whatever the mm-hmm. you know th- they 're all on this little island so the the linguistic diversity on this one island is much greater mm-hmm. than exists on from from Hawaii to Madagascar. what causes that though? Is that Malaga's is that right.
1: part of like colonialism? Is that part of um No, I mean th-
2: these are these are these are my natural migrations. Yeah. Mm, it's uh evolution like kind of thing. Well, it's just like one, you know, one f- a group of people decide that their resources are running out here mm. so they they get on a canoe, a seafaring canoe, and they go out and they find another island. Yeah. Mm. And then they stay there and then they expand and then later on the family just one family decides to move on, mm. and and I mean this is just the way it was. Yeah. Just just as we left Africa as humans and ended yeah. up all over the world, uh the same thing happened. It was just done by by boat, mm. but it wasn't it wasn't colonialism. It was just because it's like it was just way, 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 before, yeah, way way before yeah way before any of this yeah. stuff. It yeah. was just a natural migration yeah. patterns. Yeah, because
1: I know with most languages now. um Particularly in Africa, it's all, it's all majority of it is down to colonialism and splitting up the the country into various sectors, and that creates different dialects and languages. Mm. But um, is, is there a major difference in well, I know there's a difference between dialects and languages, but when dealing with the um, um, Taiwanese, um, is that is that the right pronunciation for them? Taiwanese, yeah, yeah. W- when dealing with them, is, is it is a completely different languages or is it dialects and tonality? Like were they classified well, actually, as actually so they're
2: they're not tonal they're they're not tonal yeah. languages because they're they're not Chinese. They're not, yeah. they're, so would they're, they be classified
1: as completely different languages, all these two Um
2: so it's it's complicated. Um I mean they're they're like you know you I mean you're talking you're not only just talking about different languages but different mm. language families within Taiwan. Yeah. So for example, um one of the largest languages in Taiwan is called Amis, or mm. they call it pangsa in their language, but Amis is we think of it as like oh it's I speak Amis, but there's no such thing as you speak Amis. You sp- you speak Northern Amis. You speak Sakizaya, which is the language mm. I worked on, which is which is more closely related to Northern Amis, but very unrelated to not unrelated, but um, it's a lot less related to other branches mm. of Amis. And then you have Central Amis, Coastal Amis, and Southern Amis. So you have five dialects mm. within, the within the Amis language. Yeah. So but then the, the Amish language family, it would be more correct mm-hmm. to say. Um, and then and then that's just one group. And then you have the Atayal, and they mm-hmm. have the same thing, oh. you know. Um, I mean, the thing is, you, you're talking like, it's a, it's a small island, but it, it's very mountainous. Yeah. And you have a lot of isolation mm-hmm. um, over thousands of years, which is where languages... Yeah. Languages generally uh, become similar when there's a lot of contact and a lot of borrowing. Mm-hmm. Um, when languages are isolated, that's where you get divergences over over yeah. time. Which is why, it, which is why, if you if you look his, hi, at historical linguistics, um, you see that languages um, are more diversified the further back you go, because there was less and less contact between peoples. Oh, Okay. You know now with I mean and 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 that's a general kind of trend um, because you have empires right Mm. that have standardizations of scripts of of official languages of um of trade languages you know if if you're over there in this town and i'm over Mm. here in this town and we speak different languages i want to sell my stuff to you and you want to sell my your stuff to to, to me how do we communicate so we need we need some kind of lingua franca right and this is why these these languages um, and then eventually, it becomes more useful for us to just speak that, and then languages mm. die out from lack of utility yeah, what, 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 what determines the dominant language, though, is that down to like. Well, it, that is—it's really complicated. It's down to mm. a lot of factors. So some it might just be down to like that. It might just be down to kind of utility. Mm. Um, most of the time, that's not the case because if you look at places like Africa, um, where the we we always we always this is a real problem of mm. of the, poli- the kind of the political. A lot of it comes from misunderstanding so we we have in in, in the UK um, we have Scottish Gaelic Irish Welsh uh, Cornish to to an extent and Manx as well Mm. and and we think well why did these languages they're pointless right why 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 would you learn Welsh when you could learn French or whatever Mm. and the Welsh who are bilingual in Welsh and English Mm. can learn French just fine and they can also become completely fluent in English mm. and have their own language and their own culture so why can't why, why do you have to abandon one language for another yeah why can't you just learn have both, have yeah. both? Yeah. and most most countries most most countries do have what they call diglossic mm-hmm. uh, communities where Afri- Africans are, uh, are famous for being able to speak about five languages mm. You know, like maybe their mother and their father come from two different tribes. Yeah. They speak one language with their father, one with their mother. And then they have one that they use in the local community, like Swahili, like the wider language. And then they learn English in school. English, yeah. Or French, or both. Yeah. So mo- most Africans uh, speak three, four languages. It's really common. That's, yeah, that's kind of like That is very common, right, yeah. so I can
3: literally... I speak English. I learned that from school. Yeah. Um, my parents are from two different parts of the country, so I can understand... One literally one part of it, which is mm. a different language. Like, ah, it's like a different language to the Akan to your mm. fancy, which I can speak and understand. So yeah, like you're right, and it's so weird because we can be yeah. we can be in a room together, and it just switches yeah. naturally. Like, code switching is very in, common. Yeah. Like, God and then I would just switch to speak to my mom in fancy, because that's how I speak to her in. Mm. I, I, I can never speak to her in another language apart from. Yeah. What so we that, speak, that that's
2: yeah. a that's a, a different branch of like social linguistics, they look at code switching and about how languages are often in, in, in people who are multilingual are kind of confined to certain domains. Yeah. yeah. So like you, you might have, um, maybe you feel comfortable only talking about a specific thing in that language. That's, that's very true. Or languages of yeah. like the, the kitchen, because, because cooking is an integral part of lots of culture. Maybe if your mother's Italian, you know, yeah. and Italian cooking is pretty complex and lots of different, you know, uh, maybe you'd, you'd, your mother would be comfortable talking about cooking and certain things in Italian, but then mm-hmm. they could switch to English when talking about and how was your day at school Yeah.
1: yeah and one thing I find particularly in the, in the Ghanaian culture that I'm from is it, when you're trying to emphasize a point, it sounds better saying in your language. Mm-hmm. It, it carries a harsher tone as well. So as a child yeah. growing up, if your parents are telling you off in English, be like, oh yeah, stop doing that, by the way, John. It's, it's harder to take them serious. But the moment they flip the language... The fear sets in. Yeah. The fear sets so, <laughs> so I don't know, is that, is that something innately built in us or it's just our recognition of that being like the mother tone because some words sound extremely harsh. Like uh, there's particular swear words that I, I, I physically can't find myself saying in my language. Yeah. But in English, it can
2: freely flow from the tongue. Right. So
1: where does that come from? Well, is I think,
2: that, I mean... Things like swearing, like some some things have a lot of for example, like in Italian. Uh my my girlfriend my girlfriend, she swears a lot. Mm. Hi, Julia. <laughs> <laughs> she she she's sending she, she, it straight to her. <laughs> no, but she swears a lot. Like yeah. like there's a word there's a word in Italian, cazzo, which means literally means dick. Mm. And but she uses it like punctuation. <laughs> right? So she'll say like you know, oh, it's really hot today, cats, or something yeah, like you yeah. know. And for them, it's kind of like, is can I? Swear? I can swear. Yeah, cool. Like, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's <laughs> like it, for them, it's like saying like, like fuck, like fucking mm. hell is hot. Yeah. Right, but for they they can't. Uh, she she finds it really difficult to blaspheme. Oh okay. So she would never say she'd never take. So sometimes, she'll say like Jesus Christ sometimes. Yeah. But there, there are certain. Um, words or or phrases in um in Italian that that uses god and ah. and pig and pig yeah and they call it it's like the translation would be pig god okay and it and it's just like an exclamation and some but it's considered really rude even I, though I can imagine
1: considering there's a highly catholic um, right so this is the point is, so it, is
2: it, it yeah. is it that language and culture mm. are are intricately linked Yeah. and so you might find certain words in your mother tongue Mm. difficult to say because there's a whole cultural taboo most definitely linked to them yeah whereas in English well either we're unaware of it or Mm. you know I mean I'm not a a Christian Mm. so I can just say like I, I can I mm. can I can blaspheme all day and yeah. not and, and not I'll
1: I'll be slightly more cautious to blaspheme, but
2: right. potentially it does happen. Yes, but, but yeah. for the same reasons because mm. there's a cultural connotation mm. for you that
1: yeah is, yeah.
2: is there. No. Okay, yeah. So, uh, that answers that question. I yeah. Suppose.
1: yeah. And 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 then now I mean. I'm I'm still trying to understand a bit more about like the the importance of preservation and how you kind yeah. of got into that lane. So like the preservation of languages. Yeah, I veered off
2: topic there. So yeah, well no, that's fine. Yeah. When when I said that my when I said that my mum uh, instilled in me this idea mm-hmm. of of needing to do something um, that she felt was beneficial to others, mm-hmm. something meaningful. Yeah, uh, I realized that that's what I had been missing. Mm. in my professional life is that you know, I I'd done some bits and pieces of journalism that I enjoyed. Yeah. But I I was writing about things that really weren't that important about holidays and music and, oh, yeah. and travel and stuff like that. Music is very important, huh? <laughs> and travel. conceptually, yes. Yeah. But like just like you know, writing about this band that released a single oh, yeah. doesn't doesn't mm. matter. Um but but then i and i'd always i'd always been interested in languages and that was something that i wanted to stick with because i, I had a real passion there mm. but i felt that um at the time i didn't really want to go into teaching mm. like <laughs> how life turns out <laughs> but uh yeah. but i i wanted to do i didn't i didn't want to do i didn't want to translate technical manuals you mm. know anymore I, and i wanted to do something that i felt that really mattered mm. that made a difference that to a community or to, to some, to somebody. Yeah. And then when I found this thing about language documentation, it was, it was like the stars had aligned one. Oh yeah, I started talking about Austronesian. That was, <laughs> that was the re- the reason I got onto Taiwanese languages yeah. was because it was, because, um, it was like at the, the, the crossing point of my love for an interest in Polynesian cultures mm-hmm. and languages and my background in Chinese mm. because in Taiwan, obviously they, they speak Mandarin. Yeah. So I thought, well, this is, this is perfect, you know? I can I I can I can uh, satisfy both of these kind of intellectual mm. curiosities that I have, um, but the the reason I I chose to do that was because I I could I could use language and linguistics I could I could be mentally stimulated while at the same time helping a community to keep uh. their culture mm-hmm. and their language alive and for me that was a, a huge. Um, turning point in my life like i that re- revelation that i could do that
1: was it more so the language or the culture or the or the intricately uh, interlinked Where about you can't yeah know? i mean
2: i don't i don't think you can separate the two mm. i mean i'm not going to lie and say that I knew, I knew everything about the culture or the language of the people that i was yeah. i mean it was it was just kind of like uh, the the reason i got got on to studying that particular community and language there was was really on the recommendation of a of a professor mm. i just had an idea about the the region mm. um, but you know for, for me, the beauty is in, is in exploring and, and getting to know them, so mm. after I kind of landed there and and set up shop, it was like you know every day was I was learning something new about mm. the community, about their history their their language, and it was fascinating
0: yeah
2: you know so 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 when you landed there, was the aim to help the locals
1: preserve their language, and if so, like what what, what was the measures taken like what, what were you
2: practically doing to help them do this? So it, it depends on the, it's, it's complicated because one, one, you need permission okay. and is that
1: governmental permission or tribal? Tribal, mm. it's always,
2: tribal, uh, it? It, I mean, it depends cause sometimes the government, there are restrictions like say in China, Russia, mm. where minorities are quite restricted. Yeah. Um, there are government restrictions that, you know, uh, can certainly play a role in whether or not you can or cannot go to the community and, you know, in in Taiwan, it's very free. Mm. Um, so, you know, a, a lot of the time it, it's about the community, whether or not the, they they want to keep their language alive, because mm. some don't. Um, and in that case, I, as a linguist, would not want to force my mm. ideological... What would be
1: their reasoning, though? Like What would some of their reasoning be for not wanting well, to preserve we... their language? Because
2: I would assume... They, they pride... don't, they don't mm. value it. But the thing is that the reason that they don't value it can can come from many many factors. Mm. So in Taiwan, it's complicated because you know immediately we assume that you wouldn't value it because it's not economically, which yeah. is which is true. That's oh. that's a big reason, but um, there are other factors that are more damaging and more mm. prevalent actually. So say you know in Taiwan, China, uh, China, I'm not really sure. Um, Russia, Siberia, South America, America, mm. Australia—huge con- like countries, mm. continents, um, where the minorities are politically oppressed yeah. and socially oppressed. So, for example, in Taiwan, they weren't allowed. Like all, well, for for one, they had a, a series of of um, colonial powers setting up shop in Taiwan. The mm. first started with the Dutch in the 1600s mm-hmm. and the Spanish up north. And then later on the Ming, uh, the Japanese came mm. um, and forced people out of their mountain homes because they wanted to get access to resources. Yeah. Moved them down to the 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 coastline, forced them to learn Japanese in schools, forced mm-hmm. them to go to schools and forced them to learn Japanese. Mm-hmm. And then after they left, the, the, the Chinese... Um, Nationalists came over from the mainland, and did the exact same thing, but in Mandarin. So mm. now Japanese, like all these people who'd been forced to learn Japanese, now found that they couldn't communicate <laughs> with anybody <laughs> because suddenly nobody was Japanese on the island, and uh, that must every, be such
1: a major confusion. Yeah, and state, now it was yeah. like,
2: okay, uh, now you all have to learn Mandarin. They're like, fuck, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but but there were there were things like, um, in Taiwan was under a period of martial law for about thirty years, so there, there was you know. There was no, you couldn't. Uh, there was no um, indigenous or minority languages allowed to be in print mm. uh, or spoken in public or spoken at schools. Oh, wow. If you spoke your language at school, you would be forced. You'd be beaten or be forced uh, to wear like a a, a plaque to that said, yeah. "I won't speak. I will only speak Mandarin oh, or wow. something like that." Like you'd be humiliated at school by your peers mm. by because maybe maybe you're the only aboriginal you and your friend are aboriginal yeah. but then the rest of the class are chinese mm-hmm. uh and you you turn to your friend and you say something in mandarin and now 30 other kids are pointing at you and laughing right? mm-hmm. yeah and um and and this this happened en masse throughout the entire country wow and i mean and that, that wasn't even that bad if you look at places like uh, australia you you had kidnappings you had uh the 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 white Australian government uh, mm. would, would forcibly take um, Aboriginal children away from their families and put them in boarding schools to educate them, to civilize them. Mm. Um, by civilize, we mean
1: by cleansing them off their original culture. Then. By civilizing, I mean, <laughs> I mean, Westernizing.
2: <laughs> yeah, pretty much. But, yeah. but after that, uh, you know, after they were, say, Westernized or civilized and they lost their languages and they could only speak English Mm. and they had completely cut ties with their family, linguistically, culturally, Mm -hmm. um, they were still heavily marginalized because they were Aboriginal. Yeah. They were, they were dirty. They were stupid. They were this and that. They, Mm -hmm. they couldn't get a job. They couldn't, they were only like Mm -hmm. manual labor or, and so heavily marginalized in society. Um, And so my point is how can you value your language and your culture Mm -hmm. when it's been institutionally beaten out of you yeah. for generations. That goes
1: across all cultures, pretty much. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and it's really hard to come back from that. It's really hard to to look at yourself as an Aboriginal and mm. or an, or whatever, mm. and say, "I'm proud of who I am mm. and I'm proud of where I come from," because that's not the narrative that yeah. you've been told since you were born.
1: That's such a powerful that's statement you made. Weird. Yeah. Yeah, because thinking about it, even from a modern perspective, it's like. A um a a lot of my a lot of migration has happened through slavery uh, through voluntary and so forth, and as as the new generation are growing up, we're constantly I can I mean I'm speaking for myself as an African um, um gentleman, um, it's it's very easy to kind of lose yourself because you you're in you're in a new lands, yeah. and in order to um integrate, you're gonna to have to adapt as well, and that involves a lot of losing yourself. But how how do we go about like preserving that part of ourself, which is from the original. You see what I mean? Yeah. How do we actively go about preserving this? Like, what what, what are some of the steps we can take? Yeah, I, re- I
2: realize that you, I don't answer your questions. I know. <laughs> you, you, <laughs> you really don't. You just drift off, because <laughs>
1: what, what, what I'm trying to do here, I'm trying to, because um, obviously, a major part of
2: this podcast I'm, is, I'm not, is, is I'm for not, me I'm to... I'm not avoiding your question. I know you're not I'm avoiding just, I just, no, no, my brain works like not, this.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I completely understand, yeah, because, uh, I mean, a major part of, um, um, the, the podcast is for me to get a greater understanding and to try and get answers for particular questions. No, no, especially the questions don't have to be, um, they don't have to be exact or they don't have to be perfect,
2: but just to try and get some. I will, idea. An, I will answer your question. Go on. So that's what we're after. That. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there um, are many things that we. So do you want uh, from a linguist perspective or, or in general societal? Um, both. Okay.
1: Because I think both they both quite um, intricately like aligned and yeah very important to understand how to best go about so, preserving both.
2: As a linguist, the first step that we do once we've made ties with the community mm-hmm. is we start, we make recordings mm-hmm. and we try to make recordings across a variety of, um, excuse me, mm-hmm. situations. Shouldn't have had beer, should have had, <laughs> a, should have had like a whiskey <laughs> or something. No, it's it's, 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 you know, it's fizzy you know. Oh, yeah, it's, yeah. I'll be belching into the microphone. Yeah. Um, so we, we, we record. So like, as, as we were saying, language use, um, can be, there are different mm. registers, different fo- levels of formality. Mm. So for example, the way I, I speak to, uh, you mm. might, would be different from the way I speak to say my boss. Yeah. Okay. Um, and the way I would see my boss is different from the way I'd speak to a child. Mm-hmm. So if you have a, if you want to get a, a more holistic, uh, View of how the language works. You have to record in many different, uh, oh, okay, communication contexts. Yeah. So, you know, we we try to do that. Once we've got some recordings with quality equipment like this, mm-hmm. um, we can work with the native speakers to do a. We first we, we break down the we try to break down the meaning. Mm. So say say this guy says a, 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 he, he's telling me a story. Um, ideally you want to get it with some cultural content as well. Mm. So I, I'm, I worked with the one guy, um, and he told me lots of, um, traditional stories about the history of the, the, the tribe, the Sekeziah, legends, mythology, mm. things like that. So he would tell me these stories. And so I'd sit down with him and I would say, um, I play him the first line and he'd go mm. da, 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 and he'd tell me the this, this sentence and I would pause it and I'd go, what did you say? And he'd say, oh, I said... Um, in the old in olden days um, the ancestors of the Sakizaya were not from Taiwan Mm. they'd say in Mandarin yeah and I would write that down in Mandarin and then I we'd go line by line yeah Mm. and then after we get a translation um, I have to go back and we have to go through word by word morpheme by morpheme yeah so say the guy (laughs) say the guy said and the thing is that you can't. Like, if I talk to, if I if I said to you, what is um, uh, uninteresting mean, and you would say, um, oh, it it means it's, uh, you know, you you don't like it because you think it's boring, yeah. and I okay, I know the meaning. What does un mean, and you're like, mm. I don't know. What does interest mean? What does ing mean? What, why is the ing there at the yeah. end of the word? Now, it's, it's difficult for a guy who just speaks, well, uh, for one, the, the, there's no, like in many languages, there's no written form, yeah. right? So luckily for me, like they're, they're, uh, another linguist came up with some mm. orthographies. the majority for these, of your
1: languages don't have the written form. Yeah, the
2: vast majority of, of languages in the world are just oral. Mm. Um, and they've been around for thousands of years to some degree
1: that possibly makes it easier for you to lose them as the generations of course yeah because yeah, there, there's no record yeah.
2: so I mean the reason that we have an incredibly good understanding of ancient Greek and Latin yeah, even sort of though they've been minute. dead for hundreds of years yeah. is because we've got lots and lots of texts
1: so, th- so that would be your first answer then We make sure that we <laughs> make sure that there's <laughs>
2: text documented there's text Yeah. there's text so That's first we get important. text but yeah. then but then we have to get a, 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 a morphemic well, it depends on how the language works but a, a morphemic analysis mm. like a detailed analysis of of the parts of the words, what they mean, how they all come together, mm. the syntax, the morph, the phonology, the morphology. Yeah, the I think
1: we tend to get that a lot in Greek languages as well, don't they? Where they, they tend to break down what each sort of segment of the word means. So a lot of languages, yeah, yeah. I
2: mean, some, some languages work, uh, like Chinese, you can't break the word down, for example, mm. a word is a word mm. pretty much. Uh, I mean, you can get compounds, but, yeah. but in general, you know, you can't, there's no morphemes in mm. Chinese really. Uh, it's ma- it 's called an analytical language, mm. whereas in something like uh, uh, inuktitut like the uh, languages of the Inuits mm. you can get an entire sentence in a word yeah. because morphologically it's extremely complex, mm. so you get like a root mm-hmm. if uh, it could mean like I went hunting deer yesterday <laughs> in in oh, yeah. in whatever mm-hmm. and and you would say like you know there'd be the root of the moose. Mm. And then there would be, like, uh, or it would be, it would be hunt. And, th- and then there would be, like, a little morpheme that means I did it. And then a morpheme that it happened in the past. Yeah. And then a morpheme that, uh, the locative that meant that it happened somewhere else. And then, and, and all of this is built up into, like, one word. So breaking down that would be, like, for me, would be a nightmare. Yeah. But, uh, you know, their languages that are a bit morphologically simpler than that. Yeah. Thankfully, mine's one of them. But it's still, <laughs> it's still complicated. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, for, we, we get a text... Um, once we get this, we build up what what we call a, a corpus, which is like a um, um, a database of textual um, data, mm-hmm. <laughs> a database of of of, text, of, form, of yeah. text that we can that we can then have on on files, so we we know roughly how the length, and then and then from from the data we can extrapolate rules. Yeah. Right, so we know that um, this always appears after this, or verbs always come before the subject. Mm-hmm. So, and then we come up with the grammar, the grammar rules. We come, we write a grammar book. Yeah, which is what I I, I did partly. Does that
1: me. mean you're restructuring the 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 language structure for them,
2: or are you're you not trying re- to make you're sense? Not, no, you're not, you're not restructuring. You're 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 describing how it is. Yeah. So you're not changing anything. It's just you're you're looking at what they've told you, mm-hmm. and you. You from 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 the data that you have, you try to come up with, um, and and there are like tests that you can do. So mm-hmm. say, say like, um, say say I I didn't speak English and I was interviewing you, mm-hmm. and you said the word uh, I I jumped I jumped up and down and I go okay what is jump and you go, and you make the movement that <laughs> you're yeah, jumping yeah. and I go okay so what is this what is this ED? And you go, it means it happened in the past. Mm-hmm. And I go, okay, right. So this ED, oh, okay. ED means a past. I see. And I, and then I would say, so how would you say like sing? Mm-hmm. Like I sing yesterday and you go, oh, I sang. And then we go, oh shit. Like mm-hmm. why didn't you, why not singed? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah okay, right. Okay, yeah. So I'd have to do a series of tests mm-hmm. because I couldn't, I couldn't, in English, I couldn't say, okay, you add ED and then you, you got the past tense Yeah. because there are many, many examples where that's not the case. And so we have to do a series of tests. Once we think we've got a rule, mm-hmm. we do a series of tests. If, if the tests are pretty, pretty good, then mm-hmm. we say, we've, we've, we've got a rule. Yeah. And that goes down in the book. Ah. Tick. If we don't have a rule, then we have to do more analysis. Mm-hmm. We have to come up with more examples. And then eventually we figure out maybe some categories of verbs. You can only do this. Mm-hmm. And other categories, uh, maybe verbs of motion or verbs that uh, you can do for a long period of time because all languages work differently. Yeah. So it gets really complicated. Um, but anyway, once we've got a grammar book, then we can and maybe uh, a dictionary, then we can start to produce resources, mm-hmm. educational resources. We can if I know how the language works, then I can teach it they to can you. Teach it, yeah. They yeah. can't teach it to me necessarily because yeah. they don't they can't tell me why something is the way it is. Mm. That's why you they've need. They've never it.
1: really documented, have they? No, because because so, yeah. they've never had to. I
2: mean, you can ask any yeah. English person. Well, you know, why 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 is it jumped and not mm. and uh, and why is it sung and or sang and not sing mm. singed? Yeah. I couldn't tell you. Um, but a linguist could mm. through careful analysis. Yeah. So that's that's our job. We 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 do we we collect the data. We analyze it. We come up with rules. We, we We say that the this is the way the language is, and now that we have this how do we how can we put this into a format where we can start to teach it to to people mm. and that's where you, that's that's where I find the interesting work also comes in like i I started off doing language documentation, but yeah. now like now that I'm teaching, I find kind of getting getting developing resources for to make something accessible and mm. um informative it must be such a is, is really interesting
1: it must be such an interesting and strange experience having to so you're once you're one documenting um putting together these rules for language and then you're teaching the indigenous people their own language
2: how does that work out well the thing is that you're not teaching you're, i mean you're not
1: teaching them the language but you've now put in a structure whereby but you i can,
2: i wouldn't be teaching say the i know what you're saying mm-hmm. i i wouldn't be teaching this the native speakers their language mm. I would be teaching their kids and their grandkids. Yeah. But I wouldn't They're be te- I wouldn't be teaching them. Mm. I would be helping, be helping to develop resources so that native speakers could yeah. teach. Yeah. yeah. so I wouldn't be doing the teaching myself. But it's because most people under the age of 50 don't speak Sakizaya, yeah. for example, the language I worked on. Mm. Um but but it doesn't mean that they don't want to. Mm. Like a lot of them do. Uh but they they don't have the resources. Yeah. There's no book. If you want to learn French, Man, you've got a Waterstones. You've got a. You've got just, a I'll download an app. Yeah. You download. You download. Yeah. You've got Duolingo. <laughs> mm-hmm. You can buy a dictionary if you want mm. to learn Sakazaya, You're you're screwed because mm. there's nothing there. Mm. Now there's a little bit, but there's not well, almost nothing. It's going almost nothing in some languages. It's absolutely nothing. Yeah. And so yeah. we have to first. I mean, it's it's a long process. Mm. Um, you know, first to do the you know record a detailed analysis. You know, extrapolate the rules and then develop resources. And then what kind of resources, you know, what, what, what is, everyone says a dictionary, but that might not yeah. be the best thing. Maybe yeah. I got a lot of useless words and nobody yeah. gives, you know, <laughs> but, like, but like, I mean, if you had a dictionary of English, maybe like, you know, a bunch of words you don't even know, mm. but then I could give you a, you could read a dictionary, it doesn't mean you know how to speak the language. No. How do you put it all together? Put it together, yeah. You know, where it's is the, the structure
1: ground? in the language isn't it? So it's more storytelling, wouldn't it be? Because I, I mean, when it comes to reading, I, I feel like if you when i when i'm trying to learn a language it's more storytelling so um, reading illustrations whereby i have the literature along with it that explains what's happening yeah if that makes sense so, so, so like kiddie, kiddie books well kiddie yeah. books are
2: great because yes for one you have the text and the picture yeah right you have a visual aid mm-hmm. but also like that's great because it gets the kids when they're young mm. and that's when that's when language learning is easiest yeah uh, most effective is when their're kids and they're they're because kids are mm. they're sponges. Yeah. you say anything like you know kid, yeah. Yeah. for me, it'll take forever because the uh, reason I
1: find that important is because I, I want to preserve my language within my own family. So ideally, when I do have kids, I want my kids to be able to speak my language.
2: and but if you speak your language at home mm. to your kid, if you if you speak your language as a first language, yeah. your kids will speak it. Yeah. you don't need. If you if you are a fluent speaker, mm-hmm. your kids don't need books, of course, it helps. It's nice mm. to read bedtime stories. But the problem in say in Taiwan is is like say I'm a, I'm a a 15-year-old kid mm. or even younger, my parents are 30, 40 years old, they don't speak it. Yeah. Right? Only their grandparents who are 70, 80, 90 years old in the house, either, and they yeah. don't live there. Yeah. And that's a big problem. Mm. Why? Because of uh, economics. Mm. Because urban migration. Because these guys live down the coast in where the mountains are. Mm. And there's no uh, the land is not good for development. Mm. If, if you look at a map of Taiwan, it's basically split in half. With the west side completely flat like a plateau. Mm. Where all of the major cities are. Right up to the top to Taipei. And if you look at the right, it's mountains and almost no cities. There's like one. It's a hundred thousand. Hualien, where I live, there's a hundred thousand people. Oh, wow. It's a town. It's yeah. not a city. It's a city. It's a small city.
1: Yeah. Uh, another question. So in terms of kids picking up a language, um, how often would you have to be speaking your native language to them in order for that to sink in? So does it have to be every like... Day? A, every day. Every day. Yeah, so it does have to be a regular thing. So when they come back from school, I'm hitting them with a, with a Ghanaian dialect straight yeah.
2: away. Yeah. When you said yeah. Ghanaian dialect, You, it's interesting that you class it as a dialect, and mm. not a language. Mm. I wonder why that is.
1: Um, there's various yeah, yeah. dialects within the um, Ghanaian language, but I speak Tree, which is... Um, um, the the dialect of Akan. Of Akan people, yeah.
3: yeah. So it's mm. weird, because where he's from, he speaks... So we... Mm. You know how you said that it's like one language, but it's grouped in different little subgroups that have the different dialects? So our ones the same where um, our ones are can so we'll say mm. that we'll, we'll say we speak. No one really says I can anymore, but I can mm. is the name of the language. Mm. Yeah. But then most people say they speak tree. yeah. Or okay. Fanti. So I speak Fanti because that's my dialect that I know of. Akan. can. Yeah. And he speaks tree mm. because that's the dialect that he knows of. Akan. can. Mm. So if
2: you speak your respective dialects to each other, you can understand, other, you anymore, understand.
3: But in yeah. certain words he may not understand in some mm. words I definitely don't understand okay because mm.
2: that's the interesting because there are for example um, you, you you mentioned earlier about the difference between a dialect and a language mm. and that's, a, that's, that's essentially a political issue yeah um, from a linguistics perspective it's simple it's like there are degrees of uh, it's, it's it's really about int, uh, uh, um, mutual mutual the, mm. the ability to to understand so uh say say i mean you you speak swedish um conversational yeah right so kind of like losing it now if a, if mm. a guy speaks to you in norwegian do you understand i used to yeah but yeah. you can understand most yeah 80% or danish definitely or danish yeah. right so 80 yeah, percent very close right but they're two separate languages mm-hmm. if i'm a Mandarin speaker and you're a Cantonese speaker. Mm. I don't understand a word you say. <laughs> yeah. Not a word. Yeah. But Cantonese is a dialect of Mandarin, huh. of oh, really? Chinese. It's not. Mm. It's a language. It's its own language. There's, there are dialects of Cantonese. Mm. Right? So the people in Hong Kong don't sound exactly the same as the people from Guangdong, who mm. don't sound the same as the people from Guangxi. Yeah. They have dialects, but they all speak Cantonese. Cantonese but Cantonese yeah. is completely unrelated to everything else it's not unrelated it's, yeah. it's, it's in the same language family large mm. family but it's more different than say Spanish and Italian mm. I, I speak Italian relatively like okay mm. not great but <laughs> I can understand a lot of Spanish yeah. If a guy speak, I used to work at the British Museum mm. in visitor services and people would come up to me and talk to me in Spanish all the time mm. I would just answer in Italian <laughs> And I, I would understand everything. that they're saying. they're saying, oh, yeah, I'm looking for the mummies. What floor are they on? Yeah, and, yeah. I, and I just say in the Italian, they're on the third floor, go up the steps. And they go, okay. And, and they, they were completely yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then yeah. they go. And and yeah. the thing is, like... Or would they realize
1: that you spoke to them in a completely different language? or is that? I don't, I don't know. Like but a,
2: the point is that they understand. Yeah and, yeah. and maybe they think, God, his Spanish is shit. <laughs> <But> <laughs> he said you spoke I barely, barely understood what he said. Yeah. But, uh, you know, if they were to speak to me mm. in Cantonese and I would speak to in Mandarin, for example, you, mm. you couldn't have that... Mm. you know unless they understood they couldn't have that mutual yeah. uh, ah, intelligibility it's,
1: it's, it's amazing because obviously you discussed the one of the most important factors of um, maintaining a culture is by um, um by documenting it so you said there was a second part to 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 it as well what would that what is that second part when we're discussing how to maintain a language and culture
2: okay well and no like you i mean said as a
1: whole and then as a linguistic so ah right yeah, yeah.
2: so so th- yeah I mean linguistically that's that's that mm. um, so they'll be
1: documenting and passing that down and yeah
2: so yeah. why for, are you interested in other languages
1: I am yeah I, for I example mean, um well, for example my own language is mm-hmm. but um also how do all interlink, especially a lot of the European languages like French, mm-hmm. Spanish and German and so forth for but example. I mean, are you
2: interested in a particular language. Um, Right. So yeah. let's, let, let's, let's, let's talk to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you so you're interested in French. Yep. Um, what, what could, what, what, why? Like what, what could you, what, what interests you in French and why, what would you do in order to, to, to learn
3: it? Um, well I took French. The reason why I'm interested, I've been interested in French is that, um, I realized that, um, cause I was born in Ghana and I started school in Ghana mm-hmm. and right from primary school, we started learning French. Um, maybe because Ghana is surrounded by Fre- it's all surrounded by French-speaking countries so I don't know if that's a okay, thing, mm. I don't know but so from a like primary school age I've kind of had the African languages mm. English and then like another language which I found really quite interesting mm. so um, we came over here again in secondary school you do pick up the languages so we did French as well um, and I've always, I've kind of always and I was kind of good at it maybe because I started when I was younger and um, I've always kind of wanted to really learn it because I feel like I could be good at learning the Is you know and, and it's good to have like another European language to know so that's really it and I guess because the interest kind of died down after GCSEs I thought and, and kind of left it but it's always in the back of my head that one day I do want to go back and learn it properly hmm. and be able to speak it.
2: So if you were to learn French what kind of things would you do in order to learn it?
3: What would I do? Yeah. I think for me, I'll probably listen to um, audio, audio tapes at uh-huh. first to learn how to pronounce the word probably the accent and stuff, um, try and find some French people to speak to, to see if I can actually conversate or they can understand me if I'm saying something wrong or, yeah. So I think being around other French speakers and just hearing and practicing the actual language, mm-hmm. I think that's what I would, I think I would do, yeah.
2: How about media?
3: I wouldn't look at media. That's funny. I actually would not look at like That's a French movie,
2: no. So a lot of people become interested in languages and cultures through things like music mm. and film. Yeah. And culture, but like, uh, popular culture. I mean, think about how many people, I mean, and I went to SOAS, the Japanese department was just full of manga addicts. Mm. They were obsessed with like anime and cartoons. Yeah. You know, all of them went into learning Japanese because they were interested mm-hmm. in a particular aspect of Japanese culture, popular culture. Um, none of this exists for uh, yeah. Aboriginal languages. Well, okay, that's not true, but it, it's, it's very limited. So if I wanted to learn Sakizaya, mm-hmm. there's no Sakizaya movies, there's no Sakizaya literature, mm-hmm. there's no Sakizaya uh, music that I can access mm-hmm. that's like popular. I can't buy a CD, so the arts are hugely important. Yeah. So advocating for indigenous artists to promote their culture and also, um, it's it it it's prestige raising, like when we were talking earlier about how 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 can you find pride in your culture when it's when 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 it's being. Uh, when it's heavily marginalized and, and almost banished yeah. in the public eye, you do it by changing the public opinion. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that comes from, I mean, you know, loads of people get interested in culture through Korean dramas are hugely popular now. Everyone wants to learn Korean because Korean <laughs> yeah, dramas are,
3: about <laughs> Korea, when I, saw, yeah, I was going actually. Yeah. I about that. Yeah. yeah. Things like mm-hmm.
2: that, like investing, uh, in, in, in the arts, promoting, mm. promoting indigenous music and, uh, I mean, that's that hugely influential mm. and overlooked.
1: I think music is a huge one, especially when it comes to like, the African culture, because yeah. our music scene is so big and it's becoming so popular now. Yeah. That there's a new release of life and pride into African culture. And it's particularly very West very culture. It's yeah. very accessible. I mean, yeah, definitely. Th- things
2: like music can traverse. You don't have to be African to enjoy African yeah, music. you definitely
1: don't. Because, yeah. Yeah, you know. yeah. um, I mean, growing up in uh, in London, in secondary school, um, it in sort of like the late 90s, yes. try to get, get the dates right, um, <laughs> there, there, there was a bit of a taboo in terms of being an African, mm. yeah. so there wasn't much pride in Africa because of what you said, media, yeah. and that plays such a huge the part. The media portrayal. Yeah, yeah media portrayal. You turn on the
2: TV, everything you see about Africa is about starvation yeah, and, and, and disease. And kids with flies on their noses <laughs> and so forth, <laughs> right, yeah.
1: and um, in, in in nowadays, currently, is that the scope is completely changed because we're showing Africans as being creatives, so like African music is being celebrated. Afrobeast is one of the biggest um, genres of music yeah. out there at the moment yeah, in the clubs so and on, on television and all the music platforms and so forth. So it releases a new sense of life into the culture. So it's very important, as yeah. you said, music. Yeah.
2: Uh, I mean, I've got a friend uh, from uh, the Ivory Coast mm. who lives in Taiwan, Yeah. in the, in the town that oh, I was wow. in. He's the only guy in the Ivory, I think he's the only guy in the Ivory Coast in Taiwan. <laughs> he told, he told, he, I'm not surprised by that. He he's like the only one or the first. No he was way. the first and then like one other guy... He must be like a superhero in the town. No. But, it? but this is the weird thing. Is it because there are negative stereotypes of Africa oh, yes. in yeah. the Taiwanese psyche? Mainly just because they don't have any exposure to exposure, it. Yeah. But he, he, he sells... He, he opened up his own restaurant. Mm. And... Um, I should plug it. Boney Lee. <laughs> <laughs> She's charged I, for that plug dude. Yeah. wasn't. <laughs> yeah. I've, 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 what was the, what's the adjective? I've yeah. C-o- sure. Food I've in Hualien. <laughs> for the Taiwanese for viewers. For the, the Taiwanese. Out there, that's, yeah. that's but great great. he, but. That's amazing. But the, the great thing, what I, what I love about, about Boney's restaurant and his idea is that he, he wanted to promote a, uh a different side of he wanted to promote african culture mm. in taiwan he wanted to to show them that it wasn't all about the negative stereotypes that you see mm. but it's about he, he plays the um the bongos the like bongo, the drumming, yeah. Yeah. and and he does br- <coughs> he does drumming circles with the community he mm. teaches kids how to how to do drumming mm. um they play live music he, he's always got african music playing mm. in the in the restaurant uh it's all decorated with with african um designs and colors and things like that from his from his his region and uh, I mean that kind of thing changing public opinion yeah is hugely important it is such an important thing I mean looking at popular culture now
1: with a lot of what's going on with um, perceived racism and and prejudice it's all about it's all about public opinion and, yeah. and uh, media portrayal. Yes. So like 99% of it, like it's not true because not everyone from a particular culture can be typecasted yeah. just like that with, yeah. with one single brush. It doesn't work like that. So it's very important, as you say, like media
2: portrayal and pushing this forward is, for this positive reaffirmation. But yeah. this is the important thing about social media is that mm. we as users are now in control of, what content that we can upload you can do a podcast yeah and people you can upload it and and it's accessible to everybody yeah so we're we're no we're we're no longer uh being dictated to Mm -hmm. by the by centralized powers in the same way as we were 15 20 years ago like you you know there's, there's lots of uh uh you know, c- communities, NGOs, um, small companies, all pushing their own mm. um, media platforms out there, yes, and, definitely, and, yeah. and and this is this is something that, and a lot of it's free. Like there's nothing to to stop um, the Sakizaya having their own Facebook group where mm-hmm. they all speak their language yeah. or write yeah. in their language. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, doing their own podcasts in mm. their language. Uh, there's nothing to stop them doing that now. All, truly all that is explaining accessible. Explaining their
1: culture and expressing themselves yeah. in the truest form, yeah. I mean, It is such an important thing.
2: This stuff is, and it's it, it's really, um, it, a lot of it's free. Mm. A lot of the software that you can use yeah. uh, is free to do all this stuff, so it's really accessible. Mm. And, um, so what you're saying,
1: there's no more excuses. Like, if you do want to change the landscape it's, 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 of, it's, of, of what someone... Um, perceive you as you can actually go out yeah, and change yeah your, I, right? I believe so yeah, I, I, it's, not, it's not
2: about like they're making excuses for it they're not mm. but a lot of them work really really hard But it, it's mm. about raising awareness Yeah, I think a lot of them one it's about raising raising the the perception that what they that they have something worthwhile to say mm-hmm. and that they deserve to be seen mm. and their voices deserve to be heard a lot of people don't feel that way um, and 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 that needs to change, mm-hmm. and the way that they can uh, change is through is through public perception, yeah. A- and the way that they can do that is by by these kind of grassroots movements, mm-hmm. um, utilizing free media technology to to, yeah. to promote that.
1: That's amazing. Um, what what is the dangers of losing one's culture and language? Like, what are the dangers? Because there's the obvious dangers of. It being wiped out obviously and um, you're losing a, a part of yourself and your story your narrative and your history and so forth but what are some of the other dangers of losing oh, yeah. these I, things I,
2: well i mean that's that's a huge question um i mean on a on a personal level you, you pointed out things a lot of it's to do with one sense of self yeah i mean you're race or ethnicity or religion or culture language is all heavily tied to how you view not only yourself but Mm. your place in the world and your community's place in the world Mm. and without that um it's very easy to be to to not be grounded Mm -hmm. i i think i think culture people have different opinions about this i think i remember talking to a friend about this a long time ago it wasn't about language but we were talking about ethnicity and and about how people get really involved in, I think we were talking about nationalism. Mm -hmm. It was a long time ago. It was like during a politically sensitive Mm -hmm. period. It was when I was doing my BA Mm -hmm. and she was saying like, you know, why is it important that I'm Turkish or Iranian or something like that? Like why, Mm -hmm. why, why should it define who I am? Why am I, why should I like people take, um, pride in achievements that they had no part in you know what i mean like if you're greek it's like oh well you didn't help create greece (laughs) yeah yeah, but it's like if you're greek you're proud because you were the founders of modern Mm. european civilization the Mm. founders of democracy the the, you know found one of the founders of modern philosophy Philosophy, this and that it's like you know mr george stranopoulos Mm. who works in a bank, like, what the fuck did you do? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, you, you know, you, you, no. t- you take pride in someone else's achievements as your mm. own when it's... The, so mm. th- this, this is her criticism. That's... And I, I, I can understand that. I can see that. Um, okay. My own perspective on things is maybe a more holistic one, which is, why care about anything? Mm. Why is art important? Why is music why are different musical styles important mm. Why is literature important? You could argue that it's not mm. and yet it's also everything yeah. right i mean it's the story of who we are mm-hmm. language is linked you know in 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 this kind of u you utilitarian society we live in language is linked to utility mm-hmm. if it's, if it's not good for business it's useless. Mm-hmm. Language is the first we think of art as the, the like the truest form of expression or music as a true form. Language is the truest form of expression okay it's the first mm-hmm. The way that I express anything to you is by vocalizing or yeah. if you sign language if you're a signer by signing it but it's language that is the first way that we are able to truly e- explain how we feel about anything and and, and then there are also um, cultural codes that help shape that mm-hmm. and these have long histories you know the the stories of our of our of where we're from are written metaphysically mm-hmm. in in our language we can trace uh, migration patterns through language. We know... Everything cool? <laughs> we know that, uh, that, that these people all the way over here in Hawaii are related to these people all the way over in Madagascar yeah. because we can look at their languages, we can compare them, mm-hmm. and we can trace back stories of migrations from thousands of years ago. Lang- yeah. Language is the story of of who we are, where we've been, who we've talked to. Mm. Uh, I mean, just for kind of history's sake, I mean, it's it's uh, it's remarkably important. Because yeah. when you look at history, there wasn't, I mean, it, for a long period of time, we didn't have
1: visuals, did we? And we didn't have recorded um, visuals no. either. So language is what passed down
2: the stories right. of our it was, past. It, yeah. was, it was before books. It yeah. was just, I would tell you what I know. Yeah. I'd show you what I know and yeah. and I' would explain it to you, and you would explain it to your yeah. kids and it would go on I forever. think it's also
1: very important because it it also tells us of our progress as human beings yeah. in general because yeah. if we don't have the story from years back, how are we' supposed to know how far we've come and that gives us a sense of
2: like a belonging and a sense of purpose as well to then further move on yeah. so and more importantly this i mean this this I will argue in the car you 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 mentioned about um about how you value differences of differences of opinion of opinion. Yeah. And how it's key for us, especially now in mm-hmm. the very divided time politically oh, yeah. <laughs> to, to, to allow each other yeah. to voice most definitely our, our differences and mm-hmm. for them to be heard and respected
0: mm-hmm.
2: language is an extension of that. Like, yeah. and language and culture, because they're so hevi- heavily interlinked language, culture, not cognition. I don't believe that, but mm-hmm. language, culture and, uh, 'Cause it's linked culture is linked to community, mm-hmm. to ways of thinking, ways of seeing the world. Not mm-hmm. cognitively different, but but culturally different. Yeah. And we have to protect that because the there was a beautiful singer, a Scottish Gaelic singer, mm-hmm. and someone asked him in an interview why why is Gaelic important? And he said He said it's important because um, the more homogenous we are, Mm -hmm. the more um, the easier it is for us to have the world dictated to us by the powers that be. Mm. Right? If you and I, if you look, go to like a look at a Trump rally, you have a bunch of people all thinking the same thing. (laughs) Yeah whether right or wrong whether right or wrong and they're all there and Trump will say some bullshit and everyone will go ah. Mm. and it's because everyone thinks exactly the same yeah Mm. right the you need you need diversity in the world most definitely in order for there to be progress Mm -hmm. for things to be challenged and for me to push you and for you to push me Mm -hmm. and we can't do that if we all talk the same sound the same think the same most definitely language is just is a huge part of that Mm -hmm. You know, the way we use language is a huge part of that. Yeah. And then
1: cultural understanding as well, because what what comes along with culture is um, um, different ways of doing stuff. So what's okay in my culture might not necessarily be okay in your culture, and then it gives us like a perspective. Yeah. So then we're able to come to some sort of middle ground and that's where we find that reasoning. So Mm -hmm. it's super important when it
2: comes to like just having that dialogue. Yeah. And we seem to be able to kind of, we're, we're all about respecting culture. But we're not all about respecting language. Yeah. When the two are so tightly interlinked that you definitely. can't separate them. Yeah. You know, so that that's a that's a problem. You can't say that you respect Ghanaian culture, mm. but then say why don't you learn English? Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't that you know? That's you you're contradicting yourself. Mm-hmm. There, it's impossible for you to separate yeah. your your la, your languages from 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 your culture. Yeah. And your 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 community. Oh, that's amazing. So.
1: Douglas, it's, it's it's been an absolute pleasure. No, oh, it's been an absolute pleasure.
2: Um, I didn't even finish a beer. What happened? I know too uh, much talking. You were so
1: deep into it. I mean, I, I really got, I really went yes, deep into it as well. So you know, you kind of get yourself into a rabbit hole when you learn something new, and it's from an interesting um, individual and um one of the main reasons i'm going to cut it off here because i want us to delve in deeper another time oh yeah sure. so i want us to really like because i'm going to go and do my bit of research now as well because the reason why i do these podcasts is to educate myself mm-hmm. whilst educating the audience at the same time yeah, great. so when it comes to education you need a break this recess <laughs> periods for you to be able to soak up the information that you, yeah. that's been passed on to you but it's been an absolute pleasure having you on today and um, we're definitely going to have you on another time I'm hoping that you're happy to yeah, of course. come back to sunny Essex again yeah. <laughs> I know we got here and you were wondering where your boarding pass was <laughs> Well, that's what Londoners t- typically tend to do when they step was out of some zone. guy
2: held a knife and took
1: it off me <laughs> it happens it definitely <laughs> happens man but um, the, the whole conversation um, on, on language and linguistics and culture and um, the paper that you've written is something that we're going to delve into much more deeper so Great. hopefully we're going to have you back again but one thing we did not do initially was to introduce you so you're just going to end ah. up being one of those individuals that's going to have their, um, their bio put on the the description on the below
2: bit but i mean I, before man, we, i gave you my well, bio since i was a child <laughs> actually well through language you've given us your bio now. it's just my We're name just the, it's, it's just, just my name that they're missing it's just it's who, just who you, you are
1: but i mean before we cut this off would you like to sort of like this is not really an introduction is it it's more like an introduction as to who you are because i wanted to like one of the reasons why i didn't want to get, do an introduction because i wanted to gradually just like get you into the podcast without you necessarily knowing what you're doing because yes. this is your first time doing one of these but you'd be more than amazing and i've learned so much here and i'm sure um our secret guest is hidden over there is <laughs> so much herself <laughs> as well go. so it's been fantastic but who are you douglas and what is it that you do and what was your paper about is yeah about to uh
2: in? my my name is douglas mcnaught i'm
1: now the Scottish side is coming out. Everyone's no, probably no, thinking where just, your accent is from because it's, it's just it's, it's a mix of things. <laughs> it's super
2: mix. Yeah, um, I'm. I, I've just. Uh, I'm at the the final stages of my my PhD in language documentation and description, and I've been working at SOAS, the School of Oriental and African Studies, University of London, and um, and I wrote my thesis on. Um, it was an analysis of the uh, the temporal and modal system of Sakizaya, uh, which is an indigenous language spoken on in Hualien on the east coast of Taiwan. Mm-hmm. And uh, right now, I'm currently uh, a Mandarin teacher at a secondary school in Islington, and I'm kind of balancing jobs and academia. Yeah. Um. I and my 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 goal is to continue working in language documentation description, uh, but maybe with a. More of a slant on education mm-hmm. and producing educational resources because I think that my work at school is really helping me to um, to yeah. develop some ideas about how to teach language mm-hmm. and uh, and I would like to do that but within an indigenous context yeah oh, so fantastic. that hopefully hopefully that's what the future will oh that's
1: great for. stuff and we're looking forward to seeing much more of your work as well and coming over here we had some great um, discussions and conversations in the car in, in relations to various things from jiu jitsu to politics and. I definitely feel like our next segment is gonna be a bit more open in terms of topic
2: wise. We can talk about jiu we, we
1: we we might bring some Scottish, some fine Scottish stuff here as well and just really like sit down Do and it. yeah and get into the side of Douglas, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. But yeah, everyone, it's been an absolute pleasure. It's another episode of Let's Do Humans here with Douglas. So yeah, catch you in the next episode.